Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. If we haven't met yet, I'm Chloe Roges. I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, our Summer Series Masterclass is coming to its conclusion. With our study of chapter 16, we'll have journeyed through all of the Gospel of Mark together. We've seen how Jesus modeled life and how and why we can and should follow in His footsteps. Today, we'll talk about how we should live in God's kingdom today after Jesus' resurrection. Let's explore how we can fulfill his plans for us and continue the work he started and continues to do in us through the Holy Spirit. We're glad you've joined us for this journey. Well, let's talk this morning about expectations. Okay, expectations are something that kind of both annoy me, but also excite me. In fact, I tell my team this all the time and my family, they probably get tired of hearing this. I'll say to them in the same breath, let's formulate some great expectations. And then I'll turn around and say, actually, let's don't have any expectations of what may happen. And maybe, maybe you're like me in that. You're weird like me in that because sometimes expectations kind of cause you some strife. And sometimes if you just kind of go in open-handed and say, let's just see what happens, you're pleasantly surprised. Maybe you relate to that. You see both the beauty and the flaws in developing expectations. Now, for example, uh, this has happened to some of you before, where someone has recommended a great restaurant for you, and you have developed great expectations about what's going to happen at that dining experience. And you go, you get a babysitter, you get dressed up, you go to the restaurant, you're ready to have your mind blown, and it's not earth-shattering, like your friend told you it was going to be. And you look at the restaurant, and you said, this was not only overpriced, but the service was not very good, and it's just not, it doesn't deliver on all the hype that you thought. On the flip side of that, you have those moments where you pull into a random hole-in-the-wall place that's very nondescript, that nobody has recommended, that was not on anybody's list of places you should go, and you have this amazing plate of food that was prepared at a deli counter in the back of a gas station. And you think to yourself, appearances would have said this wouldn't be a great meal. My expectations were really, really low. I can relate to this because, you know, I'm a southern boy at heart. I had spent some time living in New Orleans, and so there's like red beans and rice and lard going through these veins. And um, <laughs> as a result of that, you know, I have found the best shrimp po'boy in the entire world. And it's at a place in New Orleans called River Fine Foods, which just happens to be a deli counter in the back of a grocery store. It will cost you six bucks, and TripAdvisor and the tourists have not found it just quite yet. But you go in and you put your $6 on that counter, and I promise you, it's money that you're getting <laughs> back in return for that. Because I have an expectation sometimes, and things don't live up to that expectation. In fact, when I do premarital counseling with couples, I'll take an entire session to talk about expectations. Because what we've learned over time is people 5, 10, 15, 20 years into marriage that are having marital strife, about 95% of the time, it's somehow rooted around unmet expectations. I have this kind of expectation, and we're not delivering on that. Now, how does that happen? We tend to think that the rest of our life is going to be just like our wedding day and that we're always going to have everybody's best interest in mind, that we're always going to be giving to one another, that we're always going to look as awesome as we do on our wedding day, and it's just all downhill. It just doesn't stay that way. <laughs> and the reality is we have these expectations, and they're unmet. I see couples all the time, and they're young, and they're in love, and they will say to one another, we'll never get tired of talking. And you see this bride, and she'll say, he'll always want to talk about my mother visiting more than he wants to watch sports. And a few years in, you're asking him, well, how, do you, how, how could you want to watch ESPN when we have family plans 
that we could be talking about. Or maybe he has expectations of what intimacy is going to look like in that relationship. And those expectations are unmet. And the reality is the problem with expectations is not having expectations. The problem is when my expectations are rooted in myself. The problem is when I am the center of all of my expectations. And in fact, that's where we're headed this morning because oftentimes what we, happens in life is when we look at the expectations that we formulate, they often have me, myself, and I right in the center. Opposed to saying, what is the expectation that God has for this moment? What is the expectation that God has for your life? What is that expectation that God wants to do? And this morning, as we conclude our summer series in this Gospel of Mark called Masterclass, I believe that God is asking us this question this morning. What do you expect me to do? What is it that you expect me to do? Where are your own expectations falling short? And how do I want to work? Do you expect me to care about the needs of your life? Do you expect me to show up in power and might? Do you expect that I want to do for you what you could never do for yourself? Or do you even expect me to care about all of the needs of your life? Or are you so arrogant that you're trying to meet all the needs of your life, that you're trying to formulate all of your own desires and all of your own expectations? So I'm so excited that you guys are here with us this morning. I'm excited to see what it is that God teaches us as we open up our hearts, as we open up our minds to who he is and what he wants to teach us in the gospel of Mark. Now, for those of you who are with us for the very first time today, welcome. I'm so grateful that you came to visit with us today, that you said yes to whoever invited you to come and be a part of our worship service this morning at Rolling Hills. Thank you for inviting people to come with you. And if you found us on this Sunday, this morning, know that we are at the conclusion of a 16-week series that we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. And if you're with us for the very first time, you're not going to be left behind this morning. Because in essence, what the first 15 chapters of the Gospel of Mark have been about, one of the many themes is no one was expecting the Messiah that we got. The expectations were not to have a Messiah like Jesus. The crowd did not expect the Savior of the world to be born in a stable. The crowd did not expect the Savior of the world to care about serving the needs of others more than the needs of him, his own life. In fact, the very disciples at the end of Jesus' public ministry, they had a different set of expectations about how the story should have ended. And so we jump in today in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, to see the final chapter, the final chapter of the Gospel of Mark, but the most important chapter here in the story of Jesus. Now keep in mind what has immediately preceded Mark chapter 16 is that Jesus has been falsely accused, he has been crucified, and he has been hung on a cross. And he has died on the cross, and he's been taken off that cross and placed in a tomb. And the world says, end of the story, because he's been placed in a tomb. But Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1, gives us a different story. So you can follow along with me up here on the screen. You can hop on your mobile device and follow along. A lot of these words are printed there for you in the worship guide as well. So let's pick up in verse 1. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on in the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So after this vicious, cruel death of Jesus, you have these three women, which is very significant, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome, and they bring spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they are on their way to the tomb, they start this discussion, and their discussion sounds like this. How are we going to roll away this large stone that has been placed in front of this tomb? And it would appear from human eyes that these ladies expected to find a dead body because they came with spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Now, it would also appear that they have not been fully utilizing their CrossFit membership because they were concerned about how to roll this stone away. And they're thinking, we've not really been working out. We don't know how are we going to roll this big stone away. But when you look at their life, it, it, it rooted in their words and rooted in their actions is this full disclosure that they were expecting to find Jesus dead. And how had they arrived at that conclusion? They had arrived at that conclusion based on what their human minds were capable of understanding. And what their human minds were capable of understanding is the same thing our human minds understand, and that is that dead people stay dead. None of us, when someone dies, expects them to come back to life. Dead people stay dead. Heavy stones do not move themselves on their own. See, all of these obstacles that these women were noticing, they were based on what they could see. And they were based on the expectations that they had formed. But what do we know about God? This is what we know about God. And every week, I, I like to provide you some notes that you can fill in on your worship guide there. Maybe that helps you to kind of reflect up on these things later in the week. Or maybe you're just wired like me and you have a hard time paying attention for 28 minutes. And so you just need something to write down every so often. So know that that's where I am as well. But what we see about God is that God works in ways that defy what you can even see or understand. Isn't this incredibly good news? God works in ways that defy what you can see or even understand. Look back at the text in verse 4. When they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so as a result of what they saw, or I guess I should say of what they didn't see, they were terrified. Obviously, most of us would be as well. And this young man dressed in white says, ladies, you don't have to be afraid. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You have come to anoint his body, but let me be the first to tell you he is risen and he is not here. Right here is where they laid him and he is no longer there. And do you know what I find so encouraging and so hopeful for my life right now based on this text? I find this so encouraging, and I pray that you do as well. And you see this here on your notes. Fear has no place in our life because of the empty tomb. Fear has no place in our life because of the empty tomb. I am well aware that some of you came into this room this morning an anxious ball of nerves. Not just because you were coming to church, but your life is just filled with anxiety. Or maybe your life is filled with fear, or your life is kind of filled with worry. I pray that you hear these words, because the angel in the tomb who was there to greet them, he literally connected these dots for them. He says, I can tell that you are afraid because Jesus is not here. Ladies, because Jesus is not here, that's why you don't have to be afraid. The fact that he's not here 
That's why fear should not hold you captive anymore. That's why you don't have to be under this weight of all the stress and the anxiety anymore. Why? Because Jesus has conquered death. He has conquered it all. There is absolutely nothing that he cannot do if he can be resurrected from the dead. Because of the resurrection, Jesus can do anything in our lives. And some of us need to be reminded this morning that our view of Jesus might just honestly be quite too small. We might see Jesus more from our human perspective than we do from the holy perspective of who he is, the Son of God. Sometimes our views of Jesus are based more on what we can still do opposed to what it is that he desires to do. And if we're not careful, our faith in Christ will be based on how I process through things and how I work through things. And my faith kind of picks up where my own willpower falls short. I'll work at it as hard as I can, and then when I get to an impasse, then I will ask Jesus to come and to take over control of my life. And that's not what Jesus desires at all. He wants to be our all in all. He wants to be first and foremost in everything that's causing us stress or everything that we're excited about today. And this beautiful picture of Jesus resurrected from that, this is not a magic trick. The world looks at this sometimes like, oh, that's just a magic trick. Or that's just a miracle. No, this is a picture of God sending his son and his son conquering death so that the sin in my life could be conquered, so that the confusion in my life could be conquered, so that the pain in my life could be conquered. But because we struggle to seek him and we struggle to trust him or we struggle to grow in our faith in him, then we continue to fear or we continue to try to come up with all the direction of our life. We continue to worry We continue to be anxious, and all of those things can subside. They can be held at arm's bay. Why? Because of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Go back to Mark 16, verse 7. So the angel of the Lord says, Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So he says, go tell his disciples and go tell Peter that Jesus is not here, but he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you. Now, what does that phrase, just as he told you, mean? If you're comfortable highlighting in your Bible, highlight that phrase, just as he told you, because it's one of the most important phrases in Mark chapter 16. Go back with me to the Gospel of Matthew, because in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 21, you're going to see some some kind of truth here as to what that phrase, just as he told you, is all about. Look at Matthew 16, 21. So from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Now, this is about Jesus before he ever dies. And Jesus is explaining to his disciples, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but death will not be the final word. Matthew 17, 22 through 23. Just scroll ahead to the next chapter. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life, and the disciples were filled with grief. Now this is, again, Jesus speaking to his disciples before he ever dies, before he's ever crucified, and he tells them, I'm going to die And that fills them with grief. But then Matthew 26, 32, which is my favorite of the three verses, Jesus speaking, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Not only will I rise, but I will go ahead of you into Galilee. 
Now, Bible trivia for you. Just a few verses ago, where did the angel of the Lord tell the three women that Jesus was going to be headed to? Galilee, just as he told you. These are just three of the many proclamations that Jesus made from his own mouth about what was going to happen. And what he said was going to happen is precisely what happened. I don't even have time to get into all the Old Testament prophecies. Are you aware that there are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies about what was going to happen to Jesus, that the Savior was going to come, that he was going to be falsely accused, that he was going to die, and that he was going to be resurrected from the dead? I mean, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about this 700 years before Jesus was ever born. The prophet Isaiah was saying this is what's going to happen. So take great courage in this this morning. Take great courage in the fact that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And this is so significant because you can trust Jesus because he made claims. The prophets prophesied about him centuries before he was ever born. And upon his resurrection, he heads to the very town that he said he was going to head to and fulfilled exactly what he said he was going to do. See, if you really want me to trust you, then it's not enough for you to say something. I have to see something. If you really want to trust me, it's not enough for me just to say I can do this, but you have to actually see me do that. And when we see Jesus saying this is what's going to happen and he actually follows through with what happens, we can trust him. In fact, many people right now are struggling with a view of the church because they see the church say something and they don't see the church living out that truth. Many of us have probably had seasons of our life where we might have struggled with even being in a church service like this because we have heard or we've heard the church proclaim how loving they are, but you haven't seen that love in action. And when you and I were confronted with someone saying something and doing something, which do we always tend to believe? What we see lived out, not just what is said. It's kind of like us. I mean, sometimes we can make claims of the things that we can do, but until we actually see you do that claim, you know, can we really believe it? One of the hobbies that I've developed a little bit later in life is running, and I was very late to the running game, but I enjoy it. Now, is anybody else in the room that likes to run, or maybe you don't like to run, but you do it? A few of you guys, okay? Um, is anybody that thinks running's really dumb? You know, some of you guys, yeah, I was there for a while too. And, um, and still there on some days. Um, but just out of curiosity, I'm not asking you to brag about this, but just out of curiosity, if, if you had to, if you could run a mile, just, you know, raise your hand. Keep your hands up. If you'd say, you know, I could run a mile. Okay. Keep your hands up if you could run three miles. Okay. Run three miles. Keep your hands up if you could run three miles at six o'clock in the morning. A few of you guys? Okay, real quick. I want to take a picture. Hold your hands up. <laughs> no, seriously. Hold your hands up. Hold your hands up. I got to get this on pano real quick. Because I'm going to do a whole picture. Y'all put your hands down. Okay, there we go. I see a few of you back there. Okay, why I'm doing this is I'm going to be taking attendance tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be taking attendance tomorrow at 6 a.m. to see if we're all out there. You don't know if I can do it until you see me do it. And I don't know if I can really trust that you can do it until I see you doing it. See, the world questions whether we can really trust Jesus. And the world says, mm, the ways of Jesus sound pretty radical. However, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And this is pretty amazing stuff. And it's just another reason as to why my human expectations, my human emotions, my human fear, my human worry do not have to be the story of my life. 
I can give him complete control of my life because he is trustworthy. And he wants you to trust him with every facet of your being, with everything that you're going through right now. Now, before continuing on in chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, I want to address something that might be listed in your Bible. In verses 9 through 20, particularly in your Bible, on your Bible app, it may say something along the lines of, earliest manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you shouldn't be reading this? Does it mean that it's not the Bible? No, that's not what it means at all, because the Bible is the Word of God, but the Word of God was given to man, and man wrote that down. And so back in the first century, they didn't have the printing press, and so we didn't have abilities to make copies like we have, and so these copies and manuscripts were, you know, recorded hand by hand, and they were, you know, passed, passed down. And so there are, at last count, about 1,600 total manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark that we have in the earliest manuscripts. 99% of them have verses 9 through 20. But there's two of them that do not have verses 9 through 20 recorded, and so that's why your Bible publishers will put in there some early manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20. Now, with that said, you can research that a little bit more. Biblical scholars are trying to figure out why do those two not have verses 9 through 20, but the truth is that the themes and the stories of 9 through 20 are certainly corroborated in other gospel accounts. You're going to see Jesus appearing to disciples on the Emmaus Road. We see that in other gospel accounts. In fact, Mark chapter 16 ends very abruptly if you don't keep going in chapter 16. 16 verses 9 through 20. It just ends with Mary being afraid. And that's not the totality of the story that we see there in the other Gospels as well. But I just wanted to address that so you weren't, you know, wondering what that was all about. So let's pick back up in verse 9 and read a few of these verses. So when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. And afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so Jesus appears to Mary. And he goes and he tells his disciples, just as the angel on the tomb instructed her to, you know, to, to go and tell the disciples about me. And they don't believe it. So then Jesus appears to two people walking along the road. And he says, go and tell the disciples. And they go and they're not believed. And so finally, Jesus appears to the, 12, the 11 disciples himself and he rebukes them because they have a lack of faith. And he instructs them, go into all of the world and proclaim the incredibly good news about the resurrection. Proclaim to them about who I am and the salvation that comes from me when you believe in Jesus. This is so cool. Even after Jesus' resurrection, he's seeking out his followers. Even after he has conquered death, he's finding his followers. He's finding Mary. He's finding the disciples on the Emmaus Road. He's going to find the 11 disciples who are afraid. In fact, if, you're not able to have, if you weren't able to be a part of this sermon series throughout the course of this summer, maybe you moved here last week, and you're just catching the finality of this book. Not only was one of the themes, we weren't expecting this kind of Messiah. The world wasn't expecting this kind of Messiah. This is another theme that we have seen chapter after chapter, is that Jesus seeks out and saves you when you're lost. 
It's all over the Gospel of Mark. Jesus seeks out and saves you when you are lost. I mean, go back to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 is just one of these many snapshots. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and many sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus gave up heaven. Jesus made himself nothing. He humbled himself to the point of death, and he came for the sick. He came for the broken. Don't you love that Jesus came to have dinner with the very crowd that the religious elite were judging? The very crowd that the religious elite said, we don't want anything to do with you. Jesus said, no, that's who I came to prepare a table for. I came to make a way for the broken. They're over there saying, why does he eat with this kind of people? And Jesus is saying, because I came not for those who are already well, but for those who are broken. And I don't know about you, but I'm broken. And praise God that he loved me so much that he sent his son so that I could have life. You can trust the Savior who gave up heaven to come and wash the feet of the people who would betray him. This is so incredibly powerful. The very men who would betray him are the ones that Jesus prepared a table for. They were going to crucify him. But their eternal salvation and eternal security was still on the mind of Jesus. See, this is what Jesus is about. It's who he is. And that's why we are instructed to go and do likewise, to go and forgive other people, to go and love other people just like Jesus did. It's why we serve. It's why we ask you to be passionate about serving. It's why we ask you to be passionate about inviting people to church. It's why we ask you to be passionate about seeking to love other people, not with an agenda, not because you have anything in store for them except you know that there's hope in Jesus Christ. And if they're stuck in a downward spiral of sin, you know and you love them because you want to help them see that there's more to their life and that they don't have to be held captive by those things anymore. And for the past 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, very imperfectly, I might add, but followers of Jesus have continued sharing that message. And here you are today continuing to proclaim that message to a broken world. And I hope that you'll consider yourself duly charged and duly commissioned to take the message of the gospel and to proclaim it to all of those people in our world that are hurting and that are in need of salvation. Now, something that's so unique and so set apart about Christianity and it's so set apart about the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to other religions, for example, compared to other world religions, is that it's not just about the teachings of Jesus, but it's about the person of Jesus, the centrality of who Jesus is. Because in reality, if you go do some Google searches on Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, for example, you're going to see some of the teachings of Jesus in world religions, you're going to see the leaders of some of these world religions will kind of pick and choose some of Jesus' teachings, and they will put those teachings out there. A lot of world religions don't even have a problem referring to Jesus as a good teacher. Some of them will even refer to Jesus as a little G God. None of them, however, refer to him as the Savior. None of them refer to him as the one who died for 
all of our shortcomings. See, what sets Christianity apart from cult religions, what sets Christianity apart from other world religions is Jesus has done what no other world leader can ever do. In fact, other world religions, cult religions, they kind of have in their teachings, you sacrifice for the leader. You sacrifice on behalf of the leader. Jesus flipped that on end, and he said, no, I offer my life as a sacrifice for my followers, for those who do not know me yet. And oh, by the way, no other leader of any world religion has ever come back from the dead. And we can trust Jesus because of what he has done. Now, what does this mean for you and me? What it means for you and I is that the most pressing question in life that I have to grapple with is, do I have that relationship with Jesus Christ? The most pressing question in life is, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, we're quick to prioritize other questions in our life as more pressing because there are lots of pressing questions in life. But sometimes we'll say, oh, the most pressing question in my life is, will I have enough money to retire? Or the most pressing question in my life is, what's going to happen with my 401k? Just stop looking, okay? Just don't open up your accounts anymore, okay? Just, 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 just trust me on that. Or we say, will my kids be star athletes? That's the most pressing question. Or will my kids get a scholarship? You know, that's the most pressing question. Or will I have children? Or will I get married? And all of these questions are extremely important. They're valid questions to be asking. They are fine questions. Don't feel bad about ever asking those questions. But just know that all of those questions are pale in comparison to the question of, do I have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ? Because, see, that's what makes everything else make sense. That's what brings meaning to everything else in your life. Have I given Jesus control of my life? Not just I'm associated with him, but I know him. Not just, yeah, I was raised in church, but rather I've given him complete, full control of everything. Has the message of the gospel penetrated your heart and your mind and your life? Do you understand this morning that Jesus was born of a virgin? He lived a sinless life, and he died on a cross, and he was resurrected three days later. Do I understand that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that I confess with my mouth the sin in my life, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I ask Jesus to take control of my life, and according to Scripture, that's the salvation. That's that's where salvation comes in my life, and I believe that he is Lord. Have you accepted that truth today? Are you living in that truth today? Or is there some things that God's still wanting to do? Is there some areas of your life that God's still encouraging you to take that next step in? And so, in fact, this morning, I'm going to ask you to to be bold. I'm going to ask you this morning to just evaluate where you are. And my desire this morning is to not make this emotional at all. It's not to add anything to this, because what I learned a long time ago is that the gospel doesn't need anything added to it. And even if I don't communicate it in the best way possible, the power of the Holy Spirit works through it. And meets you exactly where you are. And so this morning, I don't want this morning to close in our worship service without giving each and every one of us an opportunity to respond to where we are this morning. And so in doing so, you were handed a card this morning on the bottom of your worship guide is the bottom part of that card. We call it a connection card. And I'd love every person this morning to participate in this. If you'll do us a favor and just write your name and maybe a contact information, something, a phone number, an email address, some way that we can get in touch with you. And I'd love every person to just honestly respond where they are today. 
Because this is an opportunity for us to celebrate what God is doing in our midst. And so maybe you would see on the back of this card the question, where are you today? Please mark where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe you would say, I'm at category A, and I'm accepting Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation for the first time. If that's where you are, mark that. And what's going to happen is that we're going to reach out to you this week. We're not going to print these and put them in an email and all those kind of things and embarrass you, but we want to reach out to you, and we'd love to celebrate and talk to you about that next step. Maybe you're in category B where you say, I believe in Jesus, and I want to take that next step to be baptized in Christ. It's a beautiful picture of an outward symbol of an inward change where you're buried in new life and you're raised to new life, and it's a symbol, the water that symbolizes the significance of the resurrection. Or maybe you're category C where you say, I'm committed to Jesus as his disciple, and I'm living my life for him. Or maybe you're D, where you say, I don't know about Jesus' claims, but I'd like to talk with someone more about that. And what's going to happen is whatever you mark, we want to celebrate that with you. Again, it's not to embarrass you, but as the truth of the gospel is presented, as we conclude this series, we want to ask you to just respond. And if there's something that the Lord is working on your heart, Please continue to invite him into that and allow us to walk with you as you seek to be who it is that he's calling you to be. So what do you expect God to do today? What do you expect him to do in your life? What are you yearning for him to do in your life? Is there something that's holding you back this morning? Because if there is, why not let today be the day when you say, I'm going to step forward and I'm going to trust you, Jesus, with everything in my life. Because, see, God loves you so much that he no longer holds that brokenness against you. God loves you so much that he doesn't hold that sin against you. God loves you so much that he wants to bring you hope in the midst of every storm in your life. And I, for one, can boldly stand on this stage today and say, my life is not perfect, but because of Jesus Christ, there is hope in the midst of every low. And that doesn't come from me. And there are many people in this room today that could attest to the same truth as well. That in the lowest of their lows, in the most challenging of their moments, it is only because of Jesus Christ that they are able to get up every morning and put their feet on the floor. And there's a peace that passes all understanding. And that's what we want for you. But in fact, no matter how much I want it for you, or no matter how much the other people in this room want it for you, know that Jesus wants it for you infinitely more. He wants you to know that he died for your sins. He wants you to know that he resurrected for everything to be made right. God yearns to be with you. And so once you respond to him today, let's expect him to move in power in our lives. Let's expect him to move in power in our midst. And let's celebrate what it is that he has done through on the cross and through the empty tomb and what that means for our life today. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. The band's going to come forward. And we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that, to respond to a God who loves you, to respond to a God who sent his son Jesus so that you could have life and so that you could be set free and so that you could be made whole. So God, thank you for meeting us here. We're so grateful again, God, for this morning. Thank you for worship and thank you for your word. And thank you, God, for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Because of the empty tomb, everything in our life can be conquered. Because of the empty tomb, all of our worry can be pushed aside. Because of the empty tomb, our anxiety doesn't have to hold us captive anymore. Because of the empty tomb, our sin is not the story of our life anymore. Because of the empty tomb, our brokenness is not what defines us anymore. 
God, it's not about our shame anymore. It's not about our guilt anymore. It's because of you that we can find freedom and that we can find peace. And so I pray, God, that freedom would just be felt in the lives of these people in this room today. That we would find that hope in you and you alone, that you would work, that you would move in power, and God, that we would expect great things because of your presence here in this place. We thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do. And we thank you for the stories of transformation that will be told as a result of people taking next steps in their faith journey today. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're glad you spent some time with us today. Have a great week.